Hi everybody, I'm Shamaya, it's like papaya, it's like it's out, and this is Plot Twist Please. Y'all, this Oscars thing has been a lot. It's been a lot, it's been a lot for me. I don't want to focus on that entirely throughout this video because there's actually a lot that I want to touch on, but I want to focus on the history of humiliating and humbling black women, right? Because when I look at the events that happened, I look at a lot of different kinds of reactions from white people that have been what they have been, reactions from the black community. Some of those reactions have mirrored those of white people. And so one thing that I wanna make sure that I do with all of my episodes and with my platform is to approach everything with compassion um, because it is so easy to just discard people. It's so easy to shame people with a quick tweet or a quick Instagram post. I'm looking at our sister cousin. I'm trying to be cordial today. I didn't want to just end up regurgitating things that I'd heard. I wanted to take some space away from the internets, all right? Because the internets were running rampant. Okay, this was a cultural reset. <laughs> this was a whole cultural reset. What we just experienced, what we are still experiencing and witnessing. And so I wanted to really make sure that I took the time to gather my thoughts and to do some research and to sit with myself and decide how I felt about things. You know, how we interpret both mundane and overt and severe acts of violence and how we seek justice for those acts of violence. Now, the first part of this episode is going to be about the Oscars incident, <laughs> the incident. It's, it's really wild that people are calling it the incident, but we'll get into that. Um, that's the first part of this video. The second part of this video is going to be about the white gaze and how people, specifically white people and black people interact with the white gaze and how the white gaze infiltrates different areas of our lives. And I'm specifically talking about American culture here. And the third part of this video is going to be about the industry of degendering black women. And honestly, degendering anybody who does not fit into the matrix of white supremacy. Let me go through my initial reactions of witnessing the quote incident. So for me, I immediately knew it was gonna happen. I knew how media outlets were gonna cover this. I knew what the Academy was going to do as soon as I saw the slap. As soon as I saw it, I knew exactly how everyone was gonna react. That is just, that just comes with my navigating the world as a black woman, navigating the world as a black person. You anticipate the actions of your oppressor, right? You, you learn to anticipate those kinds of things. Um, as a survival mechanism, right? So I immediately knew how the white people were gonna react. And I'm sure a lot of black people did as well. The way that people reacted did not surprise us. Hyperbolic statements about Will's personhood, right? About his character, the way that people painted Jada, I'll get to that later. Um, the way that people demonized and dragged Will. I knew that was gonna happen. What I began to notice slowly is how readily other Black people latched onto that same language. That is an in-house conversation, as I'd like to refer to it. I think there are out-of-house conversations, which are conversations that you have amongst, you know, in white spaces. And I think they're conversations that white people just won't, this just won't be able to contribute to in a productive, nuanced way, you know, that they don't have the contextual or individual experience or expertise to be able to participate in. I knew that this was going to come down to looking at it through a white lens. I also began to find that this outrage was not about caring about Jada. <laughs> it wasn't about caring about 
the black woman who was harmed. It became about what this meant for the Academy, what this meant for the Oscars. And that was the most disheartening thing is understanding that it wasn't about her. It wasn't even about Chris. It wasn't even about his safety or his well-being. It was about the show. It was about Will ruining their night. A lot of white people just didn't have the range to talk about this and give it all of the context and give it all of the nuance that it deserved. And the thing too is we got to be careful when it comes to respectability politics because respectability has never saved us. It will not save us. It's not the thing that's going to liberate us. And it's not the thing that is going to save us from oppression. Odds are he had talked to Chris about talking about his wife. And here's the thing too. This isn't the first time that Chris has talked about Jada. And this isn't the first time that Chris has demonized or degraded Black women publicly. Because that was a year there were no Black nominees in the acting categories. Jada went mad and Will went mad. Everybody went mad. You know, it's quite like Jada got mad. Jada says she's not coming. Protesting. I'm like, is she on a TV show? Jada's going to boycott the Oscars. Jada boycotting the Oscars is like me boycotting Rihanna's panties. <laughs> I wasn't invited. <laughs> Barack Obama really want to be the president? He got to get him a white girl. Yeah, I said it. Why? Because a white girl will play her position. The black girl want to play your position. You under the quarterback going, hike, hike. She right next to you, hike, hike. We can't both hike. That's right, you get you a white girl, she do exactly what you needed to do. I need you to run left, slant right. Okay, daddy, I got you. <laughs> and you win. Woo, black women get mad when I... I kind of knew immediately that Jada's blackness was going to be erased within the conversation about the context of the joke. So a lot of people are talking about the alopecia and that makes perfect sense, the disabled community. I also think that it's really strange the way that we are used to the idea of a joke being synonymous with degrading people, especially people who we can essentially punch down at. It's like, it used to be that it was okay to punch up, but punching down was a big no-no. We've just kind of accepted the idea of humor equating to disrespecting someone publicly. And I think we have to come to a point of contention with that. I think we have to decide if that's a rule book we wanna live by, especially as it pertains to people who are already demonized by society, who are already disenfranchised. And lest we forget that in 38 states, it is still not illegal to discriminate against a black woman in the job search for her hair. We, we have to acknowledge that Black women are still being demonized, discriminated against based on their hair, based on how they decide to wear their hair, the girls out of their head. Like, we, we can't just ignore that. And so for him to make this joke about someone who is who is not only suffering through something as an individual, as, as, a, as a victim, right, of the American healthcare system, because we've acknowledged, first of all, that alopecia is a, is a, is an autoimmune disease that is most common among Black women. Not only is she subject to that, but she's also a victim by being a Black woman in a racist society. In, and we could go down the list, you know, in the healthcare market, which, I, and I heard this from someone that I follow on YouTube um, for Harriet, most people are one emergency away from ruin. Like, 
<laughs> from living on the street. Because I tell you right now, if I broke my leg, if I needed heart surgery, I, I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like, a lot of us are in that situation. One of the really interesting reactions that I've seen is the one that um, shows the video of Jada reacting to Will slapping him. And mind you, she wasn't the only one who laughed after he slapped him. It, Lupita Nyong'o laughed, a lot of other people laughed, but someone said that because she laughed that she was instigating it. And I'm like, y'all will find any excuse to blame a black woman. You really will just go searching. You are Inspector Gadget out here looking for a way to blame a black woman for someone else's actions. Like, I saw some people claiming that, or assuming rather, that Jada wasn't actually ill for whatever reason. And, and here's the thing, this is not a new, this is not a new concept of people assuming that a black woman is faking an illness. A black women are, I believe is 80% more likely to die in childbirth than a white woman. And a lot of that has to do with people assuming that black women are strong, assuming that we've got it together. And um, there was also, Oh God, there was a paper written. I'll link it in the description of this video. It's about how black girls, when they're sexually assaulted in the public school system, how educators are less likely to believe them because of the assumption that they can handle it. Or even not, not, only, not only are they less likely to be believed because of the assumption that they must have brought it upon themselves or that they must have seduced, right? Because black women are sexual objects before we are people, right? Especially if you align in some way with conventional beauty standards, with Eurocentric beauty standards. If you are a victim of sexual assault as a black girl in the public school system, there is an assumption that you can handle it emotionally, that you don't need any kind of intervention by, you know, by a therapist or a school psychologist, that you've got it, right? Because you're strong. This debate of whether or not a black woman is ill when she says she is, or has it, you know, whether chronic or not, is not new. I have personal experience with this, or rather, you know, in proximity to a black woman who has had personal experience with this, I, my own mother, you know, for a long time, people in our community, black people also, black people didn't believe that she was ill, even though she had been chronically ill for 18 years, people thought she was faking. Like, I get it, I get it, but black don't crack, but there, there be stuff going on. No <laughs> Facebook comments, YouTube comments are by no means the hallmark of the public consciousness, right? of public opinion, but I can't help but factor that in when we're discussing how how the digital landscape affects the way that Black women are perceived by our own as well as by non-Black people. I also think that it's interesting that people who framed this, you know, Will's actions as toxic masculinity, a lot of those people being white, like let's just make it plain, um, and it, it brought to my attention again the disconnect that there seems to be between feminism and if you know the book Hood Feminism. Throughout history, Black women have been depicted as strong, as not needing protection, as not feminine. And so through time, we've internalized this, both inside of Black community and outside of it. We've internalized the idea of Black women's value being primarily rooted in labor, as well as black woman lacking in femininity. You think about the Jezebel trope, um, who is as close to femininity as a lot of white people like to view us. You think about the mammy trope. You think about 
the sapphire trope. All of these tropes were set up to de-gender black women. If you're dark-skinned, if you are larger in size, if you have a broad nose, you're not feminine. And even if you do have all of those conventionally attractive features, you still aren't depicted as soft. You are a Jezebel, right? You are you're a sexual deviant. You are almost animalistic in nature because whiteness cannot be glorified without black women being denigrated. White supremacy is at its, at its core elevating and edifying whiteness. And the only way to edify whiteness is to demonize everything else. So anti-blackness is not a product of, of white supremacy, it is a key feature, all right? And one of the core ways that anti-blackness thrives is through degendering black women, which in turn dehumanizes us. Little housekeeping, I think we also as a collective need to be careful when assigning femininity to black women and thinking that that equates with liberation because Femininity is a performance that not everyone has the means, the capital, the mental or physical capacity to participate in. It was gatekept as a means of dehumanizing us, but it's not always the win that we think it is. And also it's acknowledged that not everyone is in the business of performing for white people and those people are not less deserving of care or compassion or resources or opportunity. Before I move on to the white gaze unit of this video, I'm just going to talk about a few responses to the Oscars. One of the ones that I want to talk about is the fact that Will laughed before he went up to hit Chris. People people used this clip to illustrate that, you know, Will was either being manipulated by Jada or that he changed his mind and wanted to prove himself. I mean, we can speculate about the psychology of his actions for, for hours on end. I'm not gonna do that because I'm not a licensed psychologist, but what I am going to do is remind us that we laugh for a lot of reasons, that people laugh for a lot of reasons, that especially being one of the few black people in a white space, you can laugh for a myriad of reasons. He could have laughed because he was uncomfortable and he was in a white space so he didn't feel that he could show he was uncomfortable because we all know how that is who went to PWIs. We know how that is. You laugh and then you talk about them to your black friends. We know how that goes. Maybe he, he didn't know that it hit her the way that he did, way that it did. But then once he noticed that it did hurt her, he reacted. I'll get into that later. But one thing that I can't shake is the fact that Chris Rock didn't check in with Jada after making the joke about her. The thing that made him say, oh, come on, it was just a joke. It was just a G.I. Jane joke. Was everyone else's reaction? Let's say that he did say, oh, come on, it was a G.I. Jane joke because he saw her reaction, right? He saw Jada's reaction. Why would you double down if you see that your joke hurt somebody? And and now let, let's say that he didn't see her reaction, right? Why wouldn't you be looking? Why would you say a joke at someone else's expense and then not check in with them, especially if they are the only, if they are one of the few black women in a predominantly white audience? Come on now, come on now. Another reaction that I, I that really ground my gears was the one where people were saying that this was the most disrespectful or the most appalling incident at the Oscars in the entire history of the Academy. I'm just like, roll the clip, roll the clip. Adrian Brody.
I bet they didn't tell you that was in the gift bag. <clears throat> oh my God. So for those of you who aren't watching this on your screens and who are just listening, I would like to bring us back, bring us way back to 2003, where Adrian Brody kissed Holly Berry um, on the Academy stage without her permission. They didn't plan this, they weren't dating, they weren't in a relationship. He just walked up to her and kissed her um, whilst accepting his award. And a lot of people are talking about this, but I wanted to dig a little bit deeper. And so I looked up the reactions to this as well as the video itself. Now I've shown you the original video and I've shown you her reaction after he kissed her. I'm actually not sure when this interview happened, but I think you'll understand why I feel uncomfortable with it. Pay attention to a few things. Pay attention to the tone, pay attention to the questions that the, that the interviewer, that the host asks, and pay attention to Holly Berry's facial expression throughout this portion of the interview. What was going through your mind when Adrian Brody kissed you at the Oscars? <laughs> was that planned? No, that was not planned. <laughs> I knew nothing about it. Okay. Can, can I say it for real? Yeah. I was like, what the f is happening? <laughs> right now <laughs> that is what was going through my mind and, and because awesome. I, I was there the year before and I know the feeling of being out of your body I just f went with it yeah. <laughs> but I was like what the f is going on right now how was the kiss how was the kiss I don't know I was too focused on what the f is going on right now. I don't even know. That is awesome. <laughs> that is amazing. For those of you, again, who are just listening to this, the full video is linked. Holly was trying to tell us, y'all. She was trying to tell us, I'm shook. And you should be too. And if you're still not convinced that the way that he just waltzed up to her and grabbed her and kissed her for a lot, like that was a long, that was a, like a slobbery, intrusive kiss. Okay? And then you listen to the crowd's reaction and you're like, oh, this is a show. Like, this is a show for you. These aren't people on this stage. This is a show. You know, is this, is this a side effect of, of our parasocial relationships with real people who we very seldom view as real people? Is this the result of the way that media dehumanizes Black women to the point where he, Adrian, felt justified in objectifying her on that stage and where everyone everyone else witnessing it were able to consume that so openly and readily finding humor in that you know are we so conditioned to find humor in a black woman's dehumanization that having this kind of reaction to something like that is is normalized has even become a hallmark of our society the clip that i'm going to show you next is an interview with adrian brody about the kiss. How many ethnicities have you played? Oh, many. I'm many, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. Like we should have like a spreadsheet. That would be fun. Check, put, check, Hungarian, check. You can do that. Check, can like, do that. I could see that in Vanity Fair actually. Like that, that, <laughs> the many ethnicities of Adrian Brody. <laughs> yep, already off to a great start. I got Adrian Brody here on the hot seat. We're going to talk about his film, September's of Shiraz. This is a very kind of intense uh, subject matter, obviously very timely. Film about humanity. And aside from the political shifts that, that were massive at that time in Iran, allows you to be introspective about mm -hmm. things outside of your own life. A little bit about Oscar night. Have you seen Halle Berry recently? No. What is a memory of that? That sure was the, probably the, one of the most memorable moments ever. You could say time slowed down. That was that moment where I really 
really felt it slow down. In mm -hmm. fact, it must have because by the time I got finished kissing her and people kind of settled in, they were already flashing the sign to say, get off the stage, your time is up. He didn't feel any kind of remorse about it. He didn't even find the fault in it. The fact that he said, time slowed down when I kissed her, it's like, okay, centering yourself, okay, we're just, we're just gonna forget that she's a person. We're gonna forget that she has her own individual experience and that you just used her as a prop on a stage in front of a bunch of people who found joy in it. They received dopamine hits by watching you objectify this black woman publicly. Uh, and I can't imagine we would have, as a collective, have reacted similarly if it was Meryl Streep up there who had been kissed by Adrian Brody, or if it was Amy Adams. And y'all could argue, oh, it was a different time, it was a different time. But things like this happen all the time on the Academy Awards stage. People are disrespected. There is all kinds of implicit and, and explicit violence. And it just seems like the Academy can pick and choose. The real reason why the Academy had an issue with this and the real reason why there was such a public outcry about the slap is not because people care genuinely about Chris's safety because he wasn't in danger. And it's also not because they're worried about it setting any kind of precedent for the future. Because if they were, what about this precedent? What about what happened with Holly Bear? What about what has happened to countless amounts of people on that stage? What about that precedent? As long as white people are okay with it, as long as the most conservative white people are okay with it, then it's all part of the gag. We have decided that it is okay to accept and participate and even benefit from violence and specifically violence toward black women. Also, the clickbait on this video, like I, I'm still, let me go back to the time slow down thing because that still shakes me to my core. The fact that he thought this was some, you know, he romanticized that moment. The last clip I'm gonna show you is another major talk show. Thank you. Boy, that was nice. Adrian, what's his name? Brody? Mm -hmm. And he comes up on, on stage and, he, and he, he, you announce his name and he comes up and he goes nuts. Now, what were, what were you doing at that? I mean, what were you... I was minding my own business That's trying right. to give out the award. Now, now is, strictly speaking, is what he did legal? Um, is he in jail? I, well, I don't know, but you know... He asked her point blank if it was legal. If it was legal! And if that doesn't make you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, is this okay? Red, the red sirens aren't going off, then we are really far gone. He said it out loud and it was still okay. Like, for example, if I tried that, what would happen? I don't know. Let's see. All right, we have some evidence I'd like the jury to take a look at. Okay, this is, you're being clearly manhandled. So this is, I, I think this is okay. This is a celebratory hug. So far, we're all right, right? Um, yeah. And here we have the, this is why he ought to be doing time. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> but 
let you know. You it, looks, it looks right, though, for some reason. It looks just fine to me. Look at me. I don't look like I'm, like, no, uh, you're not, exactly not, running. not enjoying myself no. there. <laughs> you're kind of getting into it yourself. And did, did, the, did the young man say anything to you uh, afterward? Um, um, no. Holly Berry seems to be over it. She talks about it with an air of making light of it. I also want you, when watching this clip, to consider the role of coercion as a black woman in a predominantly white state, white space. I'd imagine a white audience, you know, I'd imagine that the audience was predominantly white and I'd imagine um, sitting opposite of a white man who's a host of the show that you're on. I'd imagine that that factors in because who's gonna listen to you? Who's gonna listen to you if you said, I actually didn't like that. Who's gonna listen to you? It, it has become clear to me through doing my, my digging, that people, specifically white people, were not outraged that Chris Rock got slapped. They were outraged that their night was ruined, that they were not able to live in bliss for those moments, that they no longer are able to live in ignorance of black pain. If there's one thing that can upset a group of conservative white people, it is that they wanna watch us dance. They want to watch us sing. They want to watch us perform. So now I want us to take a break from the Oscars, from the slap, and to delve into the white gaze, what it means and how it operates and how it shapes how a lot of black people interact with white people and how we interact with each other. The gendering black woman is a cultural staple as well as a response to the white gaze. So the thing we have to acknowledge is that the humiliation or the humbling, right, a black woman is actual currency. So not only does Chris Rock have a history of degrading black women in front of white audiences and black audiences, but a lot of black male comedians have a habit of doing this. You used to see it in Vine, um, in those wig snatching videos. Look at this, Nick. I want you to keep the water in your mouth if you think everything about this is real. All right, go ahead. He just, you see, Nick, this is my whole thing. Here's the thing, too. Y'all may not know about this. But for a long time, wig snatching was pervasive throughout the digital landscape and a bit that you would see in everyday life. I never wore wigs in high school or middle school, but imagine the sheer terror. Imagine the humiliation of getting your wig snatched. And anytime you saw a video like that, it was never, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take your wig off and then give it back to you. It was always, I'm gonna take your wig off and wave it in the air as to say, here's your dignity, here's your pride, come get it, fetch. A lot of the people who perpetuated this and a lot of people who participated in this um, joke, quote, quote, because it was just jokes, right, um, were Black men as a response to the white gaze. Now, um, I've already talked about on my channel how the degendering of Black men within white supremacy steamrolled into Black men uh, degrading Black women in order to gain the same power that white men were able to obtain. Um, because they lacked that power in their families. When it came to interacting with white people, they lacked that power, and so they sought it in their households by degrading black women. I also think it's interesting that the media seems to be painting this good Negro versus bad Negro narrative of like, Will, you, you weren't able to uphold this standard amongst the white elite, um, and so we're just gonna throw you out, and Chris, you were able to be a good Negro. Um, like, uh, the fact that that this, this, um, Articles going viral of Chris having gone to therapy because he was bullied as a kid, therefore painting Will as the bully. You know, I, 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 
it's just so convenient y'all it's too convenient if i were to write a script if i were to write a plot line maybe this is exactly how i would write it this is exactly what i would do it's textbook okay it's textbook it, it's the whole like malcolm x versus martin luther king right like who can who can pander to the white gaze the best and they become our hero i i, I don't know y'all i don't know if respectability is helping us i just don't know I don't know. And I think we need to acknowledge the fact that the most conservative of us is always allowed to determine the to, to determine the the standard of accountability. Always. Um and I need and I need us to start questioning why that is. And of course, like you can debate back and forth of whether or not what he did was morally sound. You also need to take into consideration the fact that the culture like that there are different cultural definitions of violence and that for a lot of black families who who spank their kids like they are at the same time interpreting this as un an unacceptable form of violence when that just makes me think is it only not okay when it's in front of white people like is it only not okay when the white gaze is involved um i think we need to think about that i think we also need to think about the fact that that not only did this have to do with you know on an um, interpersonal level between chris and will and you know the smith family because because if we remember, he hosted the Oscars when there was the whole Oscar so white thing. There's a reason why they picked him. There's a reason why they picked Chris Rock to host. It's because they knew he wasn't going to cause any trouble. You know, he was the good Negro. They knew what they were doing when they asked him to host. They knew he would do what he was told. They knew that that he was going to be an instrument for them, right? He's At this point, he is an instrument for the white elite. And if you really don't believe me, here's this video of him egging on his white co-workers to say the N-word. Rich forever and ever. Even there are kids who are rich. Yeah. But when a black guy gets rich, it's count down to when he's poor. Again. <laughs> <laughs> he's the blackest white guy I know. And, I'm, and then all the, the negative things we think about black people, this... You're saying I'm a... Yes, you are the... I don't think he, he could do that. Oh, what? Uh, I don't think he has those. There's only two. You, I, I, I mean, no, you don't even understand. Really? You don't you don't really know him like Jimmy's, I've worked with you him. You don't like your bit no, about I, uh, I wouldn't use it anywhere. No, exactly. These two, these two, we use say that on stage. On stage. <laughs> you guys don't. That's a, yeah. yeah. That's the two teams here. That's right. That's right. We, we say on stage, you guys ways, don't. But that's definitely a pairing. Who, who we says say on stage? We don't. Well, you just did. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. You and me say no, in private. No. These two, guys, <laughs> these two guys don't. I don't believe he says it in private. I'm much. giving it up just because it's play. I don't believe it's. Yeah. I don't think you've ever said it probably in your life. No, no. No. Yeah, that's it. That's the huge difference between you and me, I think. Well, you, what I'm saying. you found the humor of it. Yeah. I haven't found it. Right. Nor do I seek it. They were literally passing that word around, hard ER and all, like a hot potato. And the only person who had any sense to say that they did not find the humor in it was Seinfeld. And they never took any of his sentiments seriously. And for Chris Rock to sit there and give Louis C.K. a pass to say the N-word hard R because he is the blackest white man he knows? Like, what? But I'm gonna leave that alone. I'm gonna leave that alone. I personally, personally don't like to participate in 
shaming of celebrities. I think everyone is an individual first and I think that Chris has a lot of healing to do when it comes to coming to terms with his blackness, coming to terms with his black mother, himself as a black man. So let's talk about the idea of being feminine in a black woman because that's also a pillar within this conversation because a black woman's hair was made fun of and we all know how important a black woman's hair is. It's our crown, you know? Chris knows this and I know that's old news but let's take it a little bit deeper, right? The thing about being a feminine black woman and think about about the the hefty feat of, of, a, of attempting to fit into that box, right? The fact of the matter is meeting that standard of femininity for a black woman relies on class, on what you're born with that you cannot change, on what you are capable of doing mentally and physically. What it feeds into is the idea that anyone who exists outside of that guise of femininity does not deserve protection. Black women will never be feminine enough to deserve the protection that so many non-black people essentially earn by being born a certain way. The people who do not fit into that silo are disposable. I talk about it all the time and I've talked about it in previous videos where beauty and disposability are so interlinked. They feed into each other. A, a black man will, will snatch a wig off of a dark skinned woman and praise a white woman for wearing the same wig. And if a, if a black woman decides to have the gall, to have, to have the guts to like herself, then people want to take her down a peg. People want to humble her. Why? There is an entire industry built off of the defamation, the humbling, the shaming of black women. And Chris Rock and a lot of other black male comedians have benefited from that industry. As if there's something to prove, as if they're trying to prove that they don't like us, therefore proving their worth. A lot of black men curate communities where they don't have to be held accountable by their black friends, by black women. And we should know this also because anti-blackness is a trait of capitalism. Now there's a book called The Social Contract, but there's also a book in relation to that called The Racial Contract. That book talks about the different responses to white supremacy extensively. And something that I really wanna zero in is specifically black men's response to white supremacy. And this is the reason why a lot of black women just don't mess with black men. The reason being that a lot of black men do not curate communities of accountability. And by that I mean they don't either befriend people or constantly find um, community with people who are going to hold them accountable. Um, and the people who do hold them accountable often don't really have access to them. It's like, can you really hold somebody accountable if you can't touch them? Like if you can't like talk to them over coffee? Like, can I hold Kanye West accountable from over here? I don't think so. Kanye's close friends probably can, you know? and. And so it just, it for a lot of black women, it comes down to us just generally not trusting black men to step up to their boys, you know, to tell them that that joke isn't funny, to tell them when they're participating in harmful behavior or to sit, keep those comments rooted in self-hatred to themselves or to maybe go to therapy. You know, a lot of them just don't curate those kinds of communities and don't curate those kinds of circles because they don't want to deal with the stuff. You know, they don't want to deal with their own internalized anti-blackness. Um, and they just are out here trying to, trying to get by, um, which of course is a response to white supremacy. Just trying to get by is absolutely a valid response to white supremacy. But I think within that, we need to be able to have that discourse of, of when somebody is participating in harm, especially when that harm is consistent and habitual, what is our response? 
what is your individual response and what should be our response as a community? Shouldn't that moment of, of checking, a, checking a brother, checking a black man happen as instantaneously as the insult itself? The moment he disrespects a black woman, that's the moment to step in. And I think a lot of people were able to witness that in real time. You're so hungry to see black women being protected in a way that white women have always been protected, in a way that we have never been allowed to be protected. We feel at a loss. You know, we feel like black men are not here for us. And here's the thing too, if a black man humiliates us publicly, then white people feel like it's okay too. And so for a lot of people, when they saw Chris humiliate her, not just because she had alopecia, but because she was a black woman, whether he knew, he had, whether he knew she had alopecia or not, he knew she was a black woman and he knew the implications of making fun of a black woman's hair, especially in a group full of white people. Making fun of the Shaniquas and just the Shanaynays. Once black men started doing that, white people started thinking they could do it too. I go back to when Megan Thee Stallion was shot and people making fun of her and people, even, even though there was a full video of what happened saying that she was faking, assuming that it was fake. And I think of how quick people are to memify black women's pain and it's concerning. It's concerning. Do I think that Chris will apologize for making fun of Jada's hair? I don't. I don't think he ever will. I don't think, I don't think he's in community with people who will call him out on it. And if he is, he just at this point doesn't care because he has gotten enough notoriety in white spaces to be okay. Do I think we completely discard him? Do I think he's disposable? No. Do I think Will Smith's is disposable do I think he he deserves anything other than human compassion no I think there's a lot about Will Smith and about the Smith family that we claim to know but that we don't I think I've said a lot um pertaining to how black men respond to white supremacy by degendering black women how that has filtered into media and how that in turn filters into our public consciousness into our idea of of beauty our idea of of who is worthy of value of who's worthy of protection but what i also want to talk about is our definition of accountability because the black community responding the way that a lot of us have is the consequence of having such little framework for accountability when it comes to how we call out our people or call them in how we seek um healing as a community and how we seek justice. And I, I want to refer to Bell Hooks and her book, All About Love. And I'm just going to read a quote from it. One of my favorite quotes, whether we learn how to love ourselves and others will depend on the presence of a loving environment. Self-love cannot flourish in isolation. I think a lot of us, even though we, we identify with a certain community, I don't think we actually are in communication and in constant community with those people. I think a lot of us, even though we're Black, even though we we, we identify as as something specific. I don't think that a lot of us are in a constant, you know, are we in the same environment as them on a, on a consistent basis? Are we checking in on them? Are we checking in on each other's hearts, right? Like, are we asking about each other in, in, in a way that requires vulnerability and patience and time and labor? Because accountability does require labor. When you hold a friend accountable, there's a lot of love there. There's a lot of empathy there. And I think a lot of us are coming 
to a point where we have to reckon with what we have identified as accountability and what that looks like for us. There's another quote that I like that says, um, there can no be no love without justice. It highlights the importance of care and affirmation rather than humiliation as a way of, of creating a framework for accountability. So I would encourage us to think about why you're so quick to discard people regardless of what you think about this situation in particular, regardless of what you think about the Oscars as an institution or about overt violence versus covert violence, who are we able to hold accountable? Who are we in close proximity to that we can actually hold accountable in our lives? In instances when Black women are publicly humiliated, what does justice look like for us? Um, what does that look like for you as the individual? And whether we agree with Will Smith's actions or not, whether we think Chris deserves to be punished or not, how do we respond as individuals as it pertains to our individual healing journeys when that standard of accountability is not met? Do I think we would be having this conversation if the slap didn't happen? Absolutely not. I also think that a lot of white people need to mind their business, need to mind their business, but it's fine. That's all I have for you today. I'm out of time. This might be the longest episode ever, <laughs> but thank you so much for tuning in. Again, this is Plot Twist Please. I'm Shamaya. Um, please like and subscribe and let me know what you think in the comments below. I will continue talking about media. Feel free to join me in the discourse. Stay weird y'all. Drink some water. Bye.